changes and opportunities lie ahead as we contemplate a renewable hydrogen energy future. Future possibilities include large-scale solar generation plants, a potentially lucrative hydrogen export industry for Australia, and new farming and food production pathways. In this episode, we hear from Professor Mazukazu Sugiyama from the University of Tokyo's Research Centre for Advanced Science and Technology. Professor Sugiyama has recently been appointed as Queensland's Hydrogen Envoy in Japan and is also an adjunct professor here at QUT, where he is collaborating with us on a hydrogen pilot plant. Researchers are testing hydrogen technologies suitable for at-scale production, storage, use and export as a clean energy source. This IFE Grand Challenge Lecture was recorded on 23rd of August 2019 at QT's Garden Point campus. We hope you enjoy this IFE podcast. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very glad to be here and having this opportunity. Oh, by the way, thank you for Professor Makino for a very nice introduction of me. Probably too much. <laughs> but Anyway, the uh, source of my pleasure here is that the, uh, you know, this is the Sunshine State Queensland, and I'm a very fanatic maniac of the uh, renewable energy introduction to the world. And I always feel the very, uh, how to say, advanced opportunity of introduction of renewable energy here rather than in Japan. So the, uh, my role is probably to make some good stimulation to you uh, to think about how we can implement a drastic large amount of the uh, renewable into the society of the Queensland here first, and then to the entire world, including Japan. So that's why I just thought about the, today's a topic, uh, which is entitled as the uh, contemplating a renewable hydrogen energy future. So this is too much a uh, broad idea, but uh, I really welcome any comments and discussion following my uh, very naive talk. So the, uh, everybody knows uh, how significant would be the climate change recently, and we may have, uh, say, a temperature rise, uh, most likely uh, due to that uh, increase of the uh, greenhouse gas uh, intensity or concentration in the atmosphere, and uh, that actually uh, needs uh, quite a uh, urgent uh, introduction of the renewable energy into our existing energy system. So uh, that kind of the motivation coming from the uh, climate change is, in my conception, rather in the middle term, in the sense that the, uh, we need to anyhow reduce CO2. But the, uh, in order to do that, we have one intermediate way of embedding CO2 deep into the ground. This is sometimes called the carbon capture and storage. This is one of the uh, good ways to uh, realize that, what is called the decarbonization or reduction of the CO2 emission. But uh, in my very naive scientific point of view, in the ultimate sense, I want to have a complete substitution of the use of the fossil fuel uh, to a sustainable one. Because the existing fossil fuel that we are using happily now has been accumulated in a time scale of the uh, 0.1 billion to 1 billion years. While we are going to make that completely empty within a couple of the 100 years at least. So this is not at all sustainable in a history of the, this us. So we scientists or engineers, I think, have to aim at the good solution how to uh, solve that uh, significant mismatch of the time constant in the sense of the production and the consumption of the energy. Uh, 
So this is my quite uh, naive uh, way of thinking uh, behind uh, my story of how to introduce a massive amount of renewables into our society. So please share my idea uh, for the time being. Okay, so let us talk about the renewable. We do have a lot of the renewable energy sources, but for most of the cases, as shown in this particular statistics uh, from year by year, uh, how much annual introduction of the renewable sources has been implemented in the entire world. The, here you can see there's a yellow mark, yellow bar. This is the solar, and the second one is wind. So, as you can see clearly, uh, as a statistic in the entire world, especially in recent years, the uh, solar and winds are overwhelming in its uh, amount of installation in the entire world. And uh, actually, my major is also to introduce the uh, photovoltaic. And talking about the uh, solar uh, energy harvesting, the uh, amount of the photovoltaic capacity that has been introduced in a cumulative sense into the entire world. But this is anyway the cumulative amount of the uh, power generation capacity, right? And the recently, that power generation capacity is exceeding the 500 gigawatts, right? And as you know, the uh, typical power generation plant in a large scale has uh, one gigawatt. Uh, nominally speaking, in its uh, power generation capacity. So the, that 500 gigawatts in an entire world installation means that if the sunlight condition is the best uh, for all the uh, photovoltaic panels in the world, then we will be able to generate electricity equivalent to the 500 uh, large-scale power generator. Right? That is a good news. And uh, in accordance with that, uh, we are now on the way of the steady reduction of the flies of the photovoltaic electricity uh, coming from those solar panels. And this is the recent statistics. And as you can see uh, here, the, uh, these are the uh, say cost of the electricity out of the photovoltaic in a, a unit of the cent per kilowatt hour. And you can see that uh, depending on the country, it's uh, diverged. But most likely, we are now able to have uh, solar electricity cheaper than 10 cents per kilowatt hour. That means that we now have a method of the getting electricity cheaper than the existing the fossil fuel combustor power generator. So that means now, in a sense of the cost, photovoltaic may have good advantage, at least in an area like here. So that's a very good motivation of inviting more renewable electricity sources in our society. And uh, since I'm coming from Japan, I may a bit talk about the uh, situation in Japan, uh, hoping that that will be of some reference to you. And here is the statistics of the uh, cumulative installation of the photovoltaic in Japan as a function of year. And the, uh, this is the uh, year of the uh, nuclear power disaster in Japan. And after that, we have introduced the uh, political scheme which subsidizes the introduction of the photovoltaic. And after that, we have a, a good steady increase of the uh, power generation capability of the solar, uh, which is at the peak uh, equivalent to the 10 gigawatts per annual. So that is a very good amount. And as a result of that, up to now, we now have uh, 50 gigawatt uh, power generation capability uh, actually installed in Japan. And also, within that scheme of the affinity tariff or the subsidization, uh, we already have a registration of that installation, uh, which uh, adding to the existing uh, installation um, will amount to almost 80 gigawatt. And that capacity is actually very close to or sometimes exceeding half of the maximum power generation capability in Japan. So that is a good news in some sense, showing that Japan is going to be a country which is potentially powered by sunlight. But 
if that is the case, uh, I, as a field of the photovoltaic engineer, I'm so happy. But nowadays, I'm so sad, unfortunately, except for the situation coming here, right? Why is that? This is coming from the uh, some nece fundamental necessity of the electricity grid management. When you are using electricity, unless you have a huge capacity electricity storage, you need to make an exact balance between the demand and the power generation to sustain the voltage and the frequency of the uh, electricity in the grid. Otherwise, uh, your uh, consumer equipment will be burnt in the worst case. That's why the electricity grid manager tries their best uh, to keep that a uh, balance between the generation and the demand as a function of time. But what happens if we introduce a huge amount of the photovoltaic? The uh, bad side of the photovoltaic is that it is uncontrollable, right? So even though the climate is the best like today in Sunshine State, still we cannot have any electricity in night, at night. And of course we have a cloudy day or any day. So uh, we have this kind of unwanted fluctuation or intermittency with the power generation by photovoltaic. So we definitely need some alternative supply of the electricity to still keep the balance between the demand and the supply of the electricity at every moment. This is a very important fundamental principle to keep the stability of the grid. If you do that, uh, once the uh, penetration of the photovoltaic is exceeding half of the power generation capacity, for example, then for the alternative power generation method, we have a huge constraint of that shrinkage of that uh, power generation capacity. This is called the bottom line. And also, according uh, along that say, sunset, uh, we have a huge need of the electricity power capacity, power generation capacity, by that alternative power generation, such as the combustion of your core, for example, or natural gas. S assuming that this is possible, but actually in the sense of the mechanism of the power generator, this is a very huge challenge, or grand challenge for the power generator, right? So that is the reason why the huge penetration of the photovoltaic without any stabilization mechanism imposes a sealing of that penetration of the photovoltaic to that grid. And that kind of situation is always happening in Japan. So Japan has several islands, and uh, probably some of you know the Kyushu Island, which is situated at the southern end of Japan, a huge island, one of the four main islands. And in that particular island of Kyushu, we have a huge penetration of photovoltaic because the land area is so good, and we have a reduced uh, population as compared to the mainland Honshu. So we already have a situation in which uh, this red line is the uh, electricity demand as a function of time. And this is a fact anyway. And the total power generation, summing that nuclear and uh, gas firing and the photovoltaic is well exceeding that electricity demand in the daytime. This is already a disaster. But at that particular moment, uh, people are using the pumped hydro, that is the water pumping app, uh, using that surplus electricity to keep the electricity power generation necessary at the evening and early in the morning. Right? There was a kind of some successful management in the last moment, but after that, uh, you know, you can notice that it's the two years ago, and now we are facing a very severe situation in which even with that a attempt to use that surplus electricity for pumping the water up to the top of the dam and also descending electricity out of that Kyushu island uh, to another island using rather narrow transmission line, 
Still, the sum of the all the power generation, including the solar and wind, is well exceeding that uh, total possible electricity demand. That means that if we take all that solar power into our grid line, electricity grid line in Kyushu, that makes the voltage too much. That's why we need to ask the part of the solar farm to cut out their connection from the grid line. That is a, what is called as the, uh, say, a diffusal of the electricity uh, from the uh, photovoltaic. This is now going to be so frequent in that Kyushu region. That is possible, mechanically speaking, but economically speaking, that is a disaster because the, all the solar farm is attempting to get money out of that selling electricity to the grid line. So once they have a refusal of that purchase of electricity from the grid company, their economical situation is going worse, and sometimes they are kicked out by the bank. So this is a real disaster situation. That's why now the people in the photovoltaic community, including me, is sometimes regarded as a criminal to cause this kind of situation, right? This is so unlucky and I'm so unhappy, right? But with that, can we sustain our uh, society in Japan in the sense of the electricity? The answer is of course no. Because with that kind of the already penetrated or installed capacity with 50 gigawatt in the entire Japan as a electricity generation capacity by solar, the a fraction of the a photovoltaic electricity in the entire power generation in Japan is now something like a 6% or 5%. And this is quite in accordance with the portfolio. The portfolio of the 2030, which is a very conservative one, uh, is predicting that situation, right? So the penetration of the solar fraction of solar in the entire electricity power generation is just as small as 7%. It is fine with the uh, substantial decarbonization or the substitution of the fossil fuel with the renewable. Of course, no. So that is quite contradictory to the requirement of our commitment, government commitment, reducing the greenhouse gas emission by 80% up to 2050. This is quite aggressive. This is also done by Japanese government, but this is in charge of the Ministry of the Environment. That was in charge of the Ministry of the Economy, right? That is the situation in Japan. So the, even though this is approved by the cabinet, Still, the, uh, we are quite facing the difficulty of realizing this one, this scenario, right? Let's look at the content. Uh, at the 2010, uh, we are most likely using the fossil fuel uh, as well as a small amount of nuclear. And notice that uh, this is not the electricity power generation alone, but uh, this is the primary energy supply as a whole, right? So including not only the electricity, but also heat and any other sources for the transportation. Uh, we aim at the massive installation of the domestic renewable into that particular energy portfolio of the primary energy supply. And it is expected that half of the energy supply will be covered by renewable. But still we are lacking the source of the power supply from renewable, sadly. So uh, we need to rely on the domestic carbon capture storage to uh, technologically uh, reduce the emission of the CO2 so that we are able to achieve this a very aggressive target. And this is, of course, very necessary to uh, realize that the two degree C uh, temperature rise uh, up to the 2050. So everybody, including me, still more skeptical how this is possible, right? And uh, let's look at that uh, fact uh, in more detail. This is the uh, expected uh, installation capacity of the, uh, the renewable 
power generation sources in Japan. We have quite a lot of the uh, deviation in that prediction in 2050, but I'm now taking rather the maximum side of that kind of the uh, prediction. And I said now the photovoltaic has been installed in a capacity of 50 gigawatt or so, and the, this is going to be uh, 300 gigawatt. Wow, that's good, right? This is almost a maximum installation of the photovoltaic in Japan, and similarly for wind. But the, my message here is that, again, the photovoltaic and wind are expected to be a major player of the power generation by renewable sources, but the, uh, that amount is large uh, and accompanied by intermittency. So. We do welcome the high dollar, right? This is quite fine. And we can easily adjust the power generation. And if we have a good amount of the high dollar, then we can make a complementary power generation between the photovoltaic and hydro, for example, or even a biomass. But that is not the case in Japan. So we do have two significant limitations in Japanese energy portfolio. One is the lack of the a necessary amount of the power generation. And the second one is the critical uh, shortage of that capacity of the adjustable renewable in Japan in the future. So we need to think about how to still implement a large or major amount of renewable power generation in Japan. So the, uh, since uh, we have not a small number of students listening, uh, thanks uh, to your effort, uh, my lecture, the, I may go back to very fundamental consideration, right? So the, now this chart represents the, uh, you know, either from the photovoltaic wind, the power is coming out as a form of the electricity. Unfortunately, we cannot get the fuel directly from the solar panel. This is my dream, but never achievable, right? If I can do that, probably I will go somewhere else to be a billionaire, right? But uh, unfortunately, the reality is not so easy. So that's why we need to accept these uh, major renewable sources as electricity. So in order to uh, make the acceptance of the renewables larger, we need to make a electrification. That is the transition of the uh, direct combustion of the fossil fuel to the use of the electricity. In that context, the use of the fossil fuel, uh, sorry, the electrical vehicle is one of that method of the increase in the electrification. So uh, that is okay, provided that the electricity source is at least partially coming from those renewables, right? And also, uh, we need to substitute the direct combustion of the uh, fossil fuel, for example, heating here, uh, to a, a heat pump, right? Which is the use of the electricity and a more efficient way of harvesting heat from outside to our uh, residential place, right? That is good. So uh, using these two major methodology, we have a more electrical capacity to accept the, these renewables. But still, again, please remember that these major two sources of the electricity, renewable electricity, as intermittent, not controllable. So we need to couple that with the adjustable power generation sources. So if, again, we have a good amount of the hydro bio, this is a happy situation, right? But that is not the case in Japan, unfortunately. So uh, even with this situation, we still have to employ quite a large amount of the fossil fuel combustion uh, in order to sustain the stability of the electricity grid, right? That is a reality. So we need to be conscious about that. Conceptually speaking, we can say that we welcome any renewable, 100% renewable, but 
how to sustain this complementary electricity power generation, right? To be coupled with that intermittent uh, renewable sources, right? That is a reality. So we need to be more scientific about that kind of discussion. And one way of mitigating that kind of difficulty of the uh, keeping a centralized electricity grid is making a transition to the localized uh, energy management system, uh, employing more renewable sources, but these are still intermittent, so we need to have a huge uh, capacity of the electricity storage. And talking about that electricity storage, probably you may just imagine battery, lithium-ion battery. That is good. In the South Australia, you have a huge amount of a Tesla battery. That is okay. But, you know, this uh, electricity storage need to serve not only for a couple of hours, but at least for a day, or in some cases, a couple of days, because you may have a continuation of the rainy day or cloudy day. So in order to be completely independent in terms of the control of the electricity with just intermittent uh, electricity supply sources like this photovoltaic or wind, this capacity of the battery needs to be so huge. And uh, for doing that, we need quite a, lot number of the, quite a lot of the battery banks, and that makes the cost of the electricity storage in proportion to that uh, kilowatt hour, which is necessary for this long-term electricity offset, right? And for that, one option is the use of the hydrogen. Here, uh, now I want to exaggerate the role of the hydrogen as an enabler of the uh, massive installation of photovoltaic. This is the role of the hydrogen number one, electricity storage. Independent from the uh, proportional scheme between that cost of the electricity storage and the capacity of the electricity storage. Because in this particular schematic, as you can see, the uh, conversion from the electricity to hydrogen is done by water electrolyzer. And else, again, if you need electricity, you can convert hydrogen to electricity by fuel cell. These two devices need more improvement and has a lot of the potential to be cost down. But anyway, the storage of the hydrogen, this is actually corresponding to our, right? Not the what. And what is necessary here for that kind of the long-term electricity offset is not the what, but our. So you can simply extend the capacity of the hydrogen storage. Just that. You don't need a huge capacity of the water electrolyzer or the fuel cell, so long as you are moderate in this usage of the electricity from time to time. So uh, that indicates that for the long-term uh, electricity storage, the hydrogen-based electricity storage as this has a much more advantage than the uh, storage using lithium-ion battery or any other kind of non-conventional battery, right? And you are in, very lucky in a sense that you have a good demonstration site. Uh, this is the Griffith University. If you go to that university, you already have an energy-independent uh, building which is full of the photovoltaic panel and uh, with the use of the uh, some combined system employing that lithium-ion battery and also the water electrolyzer fuel cell combination as well as the hydrogen storage uh, using metal hydride. This is a very good methodology of compressing the volume of the hydrogen into a factor of something like 1,000. So this is a very good mechanism. And also in Japan, we are happy uh, to have that kind of demonstration site again. So if you come to Japan, please think about visiting Nagasaki. This is also the southern end of Japan in the Kyushu Island. And if you go there, we have what is called the uh, theme park uh, House Tenbosch. And uh, where uh, we have a hotel, which is Henna Hotel in Japanese. And uh, that translation is strange hotel. That hotel is so strange 
in a lot of aspects, but the real strangeness exists in its energy supply. That uh, 12 rooms of hotel is completely independent of, the, independent of the electricity grid in the Kyushu Island. So they are making actually the uh, independent energy management system likely to that, say, Griffith University building case uh, using exactly the same mechanism with the combination of that a lithium-ion battery and also the hydrogen-based electricity storage. And you can see here in this particular, say, uh, picture by Google that the, uh, this is the two-stared uh, 12 rooms building. And for sustaining that, we have a huge amount of the solar panel like this. But before keeping that one year's electricity power, you just need only one-fifth of this uh, green uh, square, uh, rectangle, right? This is actually just one container having that metal hydride inside, right? This is enough for keeping electricity for one year for 12 rooms, right? This is a very good example that we can make a very effective long-term energy storage using hydrogen. So this is one example. Okay, so after having that technology, we may be happier to have a possibility of the independent, self-controllable uh, electricity management uh, as separated from that, uh, say, stability of the central grid. But, you know, uh, imagine you are living in the central Brisbane, and I'm living in, not the central, but any area of Tokyo. So, you have a skys skyscrapers, and can you maintain the electricity of the skyscrapers by photovoltaic panels? exist in the vicinity? Yeah, of course, no, right? So uh, that means that uh, in huge city, you have always a shortage of the land area to supply uh, necessary energy to make your energy system 100% renewable. That means that you still need some centralized uh, electricity supply system. And again, here comes the uh, bottleneck. This combust of the fuel is always emitting CO2, right? And always using fossil. So in order to make a complete or substantial decarbonization of our energy system, we need to substitute this power generation with the combustion of hydrogen, right? This is the a very essential point of the use of hydrogen. Now I'm uh, exaggerating the position of the hydrogen as an enabler of the uh, massive renewable energy installation. Here, this hydrogen is CO2-free fuel. Then you can use that uh, as on-demand electricity supply source and also the substitution of your conventional heat source. So if you can really achieve this energy scheme, then this is the final stage of the renewable sustained uh, energy system, right? So I think that we need to aim at this scenario regardless of the any country situation, right? Of course, the uh, energy system is quite dependent on region to region. So we have quite a variety, but this is essentially pointing out how to make that a substantial, how to say, decarbonization or the transition to the uh, renewable-based energy system. How much hydrogen do we need to realize that? So uh, to show that, I will uh, give you some uh, very tricky uh, slide. Oh, this is a source of headache. Probably you may be prepared to get out of this room and go into some rock and roll uh, party. 
No? <laughs> but uh, please don't do that. I will skip this slide quite quickly, right? So this is actually the energy flow diagram in Japan, right? This is the supply side, and uh, half of which is, uh, not half, sorry, a uh, good fraction of which is going to electricity, and the other one is directly uh, used for combustion, right? This is the way of understanding this one. And also we have several sectors for the usage of that uh, energy. And let me uh, think that how we can substitute the use of those uh, fossil fuel resources, right? And as I have said, for the, our housings and the stores or offices, uh, we may be able to make a transition from the direct combustion of fossil fuel to heat pump, right? By which we may be able to make a substantial electrification. And also for the transport sectors like vehicles and trucks and buses, we may either use the electrical vehicle or a fuel cell vehicle, depending on that traveling distance and also the frequency of that coming back to the original site. Right? For the uh, city riding, probably you just need an electricity vehicle. But if you are driving from here, for example, to the Gladstone, uh, you may need a fuel cell bus or a fuel cell vehicle uh, because the, uh, you may not have a so frequent charging opportunity. So that is a way of the consideration. But anyway, uh, by doing either which, we can make a transition from the fossil fuel usage to the, either the use of the electricity or the use of the hydrogen. And the last one is the substitution of the fossil fuel with the CO2-free hydrogen, as I have said. So uh, in principle, we can change uh, from the uh, use of the fossil fuel to the direct combustion by hydrogen for getting heat, high temperature heat, right? So the, that is in principle possible, okay, as well as the massive usage of the bio. So this is the opportunity in Japan as an example. And if you count them together, this is just my very naive assumption. Uh, this is the situation in 2010. And uh, previously, I have shown you the scenario of our Ministry of the Environment, which I don't believe. But uh, this is my personal scenario, which probably uh, nobody except for me would believe. But uh, this is my personal perspective anyway. The, unfortunately, the use of the uh, spread of the renewable energy is limited because of that incapability of the uh, electricity management, right? So the use of the renewable electricity, either the photovoltaic or wind or others, are just limited within the range of the adjustability. And that adjustability is management, uh, managed by this hydrogen. So we have uh, quite a huge necessity of using hydrogen, right? And how much is that? Actually, that amount is calculated to be 60 million ton per year, right? And, okay, this is something like exercise. If we are to make a final, final happy stage of making that hydrogen with the water electrolysis out of the renewable electricity, how much electricity power generation capacity do we need? And we can easily calculate that. And actually, that electricity power generation capacity is already three times larger of the, our existing electricity power generation in the entire Japan now. I mean, that we have to make uh, three times larger new installation of the power generation capacity in Japan. And if we do that by photovoltaic alone, can you imagine what happens? It is like this, right? The photovoltaic panel will share the major part of Japan, and I am living around here, and the emperor is living here, and all the SA governors are here, so... What happens, right? We can ask the emperor to go back to Kyoto, probably. <laughs> but still, the, we need to, say, crash this mountain area, right? So, of course, this is an exaggeration, but this area is correct, right? So that means that uh, if we do that in Japan, we do have a 
difficulty, right, for actual implementation. Okay, so since I have, I'm now in Australia, uh, what happens if we do that in Australia as an example? Situation is like this. <laughs> First, the uh, UL sunlight is much better, so we have uh, necessity of the reduced power generation capacity. And also, around the area, actually not so much different, but it's relative, say, <laughs> say fraction. It's very small, right? So this is the situation. So you are so much proud of the, uh, your luckiness of having an area and sunlight. This is truth, right? But we, Japan, are lucky in this opportunity. So that's why I'm here, right? So we need to have a good linkage and a complementary relationship. Okay, but of course you may wonder how we can carry that hydrogen from Australia to Japan. Actually, the, uh, this is already the target of the uh, research and development because the, uh, no, I'm not the only person who is persisting this kind of story, right? The uh, much cleverer people have been in Japan. So they studied the, uh, some uh, activity of the uh, R&D for the development of what is called the hydrogen carrier technology, right? And I have actually a little time to deeply uh, explaining those technologies, but the most extreme one is the liquefaction of the hydrogen, right? This is actually already existing as a propulsion uh, fuel for rocket, but the uh, massive implementation of that liquefaction and also the uh, overshoot transportation of that liquid hydrogen is actually not so easy. So uh, that is actually the, at the final stage of demonstration. At the end of this year, we'll, uh, you Victorian guys here will have a SIP coming from Japan having a liquid hydrogen inside and the Victorian people will have a little refilling of the liquid hydrogen, and the Japanese team will get that liquid hydrogen back to Japan. That is the final stage of demonstration. And uh, technologically speaking, that will be in suc a successful situation. So the, uh, regardless of the cost, it is already in reality. And other than that, the, we have much easier opportunity, like that use of the organic hydride. You know, some of you are chemists, so you may uh, have no allergy of having this a uh, chemical double bond, right? And if you have this chemical double bond, you have opportunity of adding hydrogen into this molecular framework. So uh, using this uh, methylcyclohexane MCH and toluene, we have some round trip scheme so that we can uh, add hydrogen here in Australia and take hydrogen out in Japan so that we can use that hydrogen. And the virtue of this uh, scheme is that the, this uh, MCH is quite similar to your oil or this um, uh, how does it, chemical solvent. So it is very easy to handle and less toxic and easy uh, to preserve. So this is a very wise way for uh, carrying the hydrogen, especially in a small amount. And also you have a, a bit tricky option of the synthesizing ammonia out of that hydrogen coming from hopefully the green sources and make that uh, hydrogen usage either direct combustion for power generation or taking the hydrogen out uh, for uh, driving mobility. So it's uh, actually necessitating that the hydrogen separation from that a, a mixture of the nitrogen and ammonia, uh, hydrogen out of the decomposition of the ammonia. But anyway, that is feasible. So uh, this is the uh, future perspective. And uh, we more or less do have a solution for carrying the hydrogen from Australia to Japan for our case. And even for your domestic transportation, like from the Western Australia to this Queensland, sometimes you may need some uh, say transportation of the hydrogen because the, uh, this area is so much crowded, uh, while you have a much more land area in Western Australia, for example. So you may even need such kind of low-budget transportation of the hydrogen. And for that, we have probably a good option. 
But the problem here is that still nobody is expecting this a hydrogen generation from sunlight to be a viable way. This is the sadness, right? Technologically speaking, it's okay. We have a photovoltaic and we have a water electrolyzer. These are available. So if you connect them together, you can get hydrogen. That's true. Why people are so much pessimistic about that future? Cost. And of course, the related efficiency. So let's see how we can boost the efficiency of that hydrogen generation out of sunlight, and also what is a way to minimize the cost of that hydrogen out of sunlight. Of course, we need water as well. Okay, so uh, before getting into that story, uh, finally I will uh, have a uh, brief touch into that Japanese strategy. So already two years ago, Japanese government has presented uh, some good statistics or uh, policy paper uh, exaggerating the necessity of the imported hydrogen from abroad to Japan. So we are already opening our mouth, provided that the hydrogen from Australia is cheap. Right? But of course, that is a bottleneck. But anyway, you may feel that opportunity, right? So, and that uh, hydrogen is so massive, but uh, much less than my expectation. But anyway, that is already, in some sense, written in our policy paper. And also, you Australian policy papers already exist, and uh, you are expecting a huge opportunity of exporting hydrogen instead of your existing coal or natural gas from Australia. So, this is already a very good complementary situation existing between these two countries. Okay, so oh, that's why, uh, but I should be so long, okay, so I will skip this one. Uh, right, then here exists challenge number one. The, of course, we need to have a very low-cost uh, hydrogen. And uh, as a first step, we need to boost the efficiency of the energy conversion from sunlight to hydrogen. So how can we do that? You know, again, I would exaggerate that the, we can generate a hydrogen out of the water electrolysis powered by, say, sunlight like photovoltaic. And also, we have another option of using this green hydrogen uh, to be reacted with CO2 uh, to catalytically synthesize the uh, methane. This is, of course, the con major content of the natural gas. So uh, this green methane, like a natural gas, can be used using the existing infrastructure. So anyway, for either of the ways, change of the energy consumption infrastructure or continue to use our existing infrastructure is with this green methane, still, the bottom thing is that how efficiently we can make hydrogen out of this sunlight, okay? And uh, this efficiency for the energy conversion, uh, like the case of the uh, say solar to electricity conversion, is defined as this ratio, the solar energy irradiant to the surface of the, some device, and the energy of the hydrogen. Actually, that energy of the hydrogen is defined between that water form and the hydrogen form. Right, so uh, the left to right is the water electrolysis, and right to left is either combustion or the fuel cell. Right, so this energy difference comes uh, to the uh, denominator. Oh, sorry, yeah, numerator. Right, so the, that is the energy combustion efficiency. And talking about that energy combustion efficiency, we do have a good portfolio of progress in the world. Right, uh, this is again a part of the efficiency of that solar to hydrogen energy combustion efficiency uh, from the onset, which is actually the uh, great work by. Japan Japanese researcher, uh, Professor Fujishima, and after that, they have a very huge progress. And as uh, Professor Makeno has uh, kindly introduced, uh, I'm sitting here, right? This is good. 
But we have some garbage. Oh, sorry. I uh, forget to erase this one. Uh, this is my mess. Uh, but anyway, this is actually the, some cheating. Uh, he passes that uh, this is the world's highest efficiency, but he uses the artificial lamp, not the sunlight. So uh, in that regard, I can exclude this garbage. So uh, anyway, this is my uh, world record of the solar to hydrogen conversion. Why I was able to do that? The uh, reason is very simple, but before getting into that, I will just give you some very quick overview what, how we can convert that, say, sunlight energy to uh, water uh, splitting and generating hydrogen. So we uh, anyhow need a semiconductor uh, to uh, generate electron hole pair with a good uh, chemical potential separation uh, upon the radiation of the sunlight. This is a photon to electron hole pair conversion. And those electron hole pairs, if they are lucky enough to have a good en uh, free energy, uh, can be used to split uh, water to hydrogen and oxygen. This is a very uh, fundamental uh, representation of that scheme. But the problem is that you know you have uh, different uh, chemical potential necessary for generating hydrogen and oxygen, and those are requested for the electron hole. That means that for this particular semiconductor, you need an adequate position of the uh, bandage. This is actually a very severe constraint for the material, for the photocatalyst. And uh, realistically speaking, we never have a good material which can achieve this scheme with a single material and a high efficiency. So uh, most of the people are rushing to the use of something like a multi-junction photovoltaic plate uh, embedded into water. This is what is called the a photo, a electrode, not a photocatalyst in most of the uh, convention. And uh, you can use that, yes, either the one side of that, a multi-junction photovoltaic plate and the counter electrode, or modifying both of the, uh, say, open surface of the multi-junction structure of a semiconductor plate to be both the cathode and anode. This is possible, but imagine. This is okay. Might be a low cost, but uh, I said uh, I can never find a good material uh, to achieve at uh, the high efficiency and low cost at the same time. And these, oops, what happened? Okay, great. <laughs> Right. Sometimes he's pushing me, right, <laughs> to give time. <laughs> but anyway, so the, uh, these are the already a precious photovoltaic structure, right? This is something like uh, dipping your precious solar cell into water, right? It is okay? Not good. <laughs> he is reluctant. But anyway, so the, uh, for most of the cases, this imposes uh, some uh, extra uh, constraint for the durability, right? Uh, this is not so easy to achieve, especially for the state-of-the-art solar cell perovskite, which is very susceptible to moisture. So I cannot imagine anybody uh, dipping your precious perovskite solar cell into water. If that is achievable, world is happier, but uh, this is a challenge. So if that is the case, most of you may think that, uh, okay, let's split that mechanism into two components, right? The, uh, this is a part of the uh, say chemical potential generation. You can use the, any kind of photovoltaic device here. And also, you can uh, ask this uh, electrochemical reactor, this is actually the electrolyzer, uh, to be uh, in charge of that uh, water splitting. And connect them by wiring, wiring, right? This is more feasible and a realistic approach, in my sense. 
So oh, that's why I attempted to make that demonstration. This is very easy, but nobody has done that uh, with a high efficiency. So oh, that is my attempt. And uh, I went to, not the Queensland, but the Miyazaki, but because this, that was closer to me. And I implemented that a high efficiency solar module, which is now running in a Redland facility. So if you drive here from here to Redland by 30 minutes or so, you can see this module running. And that particular module has actually very tricky structure, the use of the different uh, semiconductor material uh, to harvest the uh, broad spectrum of sunlight with high efficiency. But uh, this is actually the, uh, too much time to explain. So I want to just exaggerate. This is very good crystal, but very costly. Unfortunately, this is my field, right? I'm always just wasting this kind of the high, uh, high cost material. But anyway, to save cost, we need to reduce that usage. That's why we need to focus sunlight into a very small semiconductor device. This is actually the counter operation of your LED light. Uh, have you tried to look at your LED in detail? In your, this size of the LED, you have a very small chip of a semiconductor which is emitting light, which size is actually below the 0.1 millimeter, per, uh, millimeter squared, right? Light is coming from the small chip and spreading to the entire space. That is lighting. So the, you can do the opposite way. You can uh, focus light to a very small chip, uh, typically speaking, a couple of the millimeters squared, and use that uh, precious and high efficiency semiconductor chip uh, at the maximum and uh, ma uh, lowest cost. So this is the concentrate of photovoltaic, and its capacity is, uh, or efficiency is uh, rising up for years. And also, what's good is that in order to make this a light concentration, you need to track the normal of this lens to the direction of the sun. Otherwise, you have a misfocusing of the light uh, position uh, from the position of that photovoltaic device. So you need to track the direction of sunlight, sun, from morning to night. That is, in some sense, massive uh, and uh, potentially causing the cost increase of the mechanism. But that is a possible to be overcome. And the other good side is that the photovoltaic power generation is always the best from the morning to the evening. That means that you have a much better uh, equipment utilization from the morning to the evening. That's why the photovoltaic device uh, we are using in Redland now has a uh, modular efficiency more than 30%. Uh, this is at least one times, uh, 1.5 times uh, higher than the existing uh, silicon panel. And also, system utilization ratio is also exceeding 30%. This is very good. Uh, nominally here, the system utilization efficiency of the fixed panel silicon is like a 20%. So the, uh, this device provides us good efficiency and also good utilization ratio. So that is good for driving the photo, a water electrolyzer. That's why uh, I combined that uh, at a very initial trial in Miyazaki. Uh, this is a prototype coming from my partner company, Sumitomo Electric, with a very high efficiency, and connects that with copper wiring. That's that, right? And uh, that experiment has been done in one day. So that 24.4% is a world record of the highest efficiency of the solar to hydrogen combustion, and also the most efficient experiment I have experienced in my life, right? <laughs> I just have done that for a day. <laughs> So this is very simple. So consideration took time, but uh, action is very short. And in that particular trial, again, going back to that solar to hydrogen uh, conversion uh, scheme, uh, efficiency scheme, uh, I can decompose uh, this definition into several factors. 
like this. And the first factor here is the uh, efficiency of the photovoltaic uh, module at the maximum power point. Uh, this is the maximum achievable uh, efficiency of the photovoltaic. But that is not always, right? And uh, next, uh, last two are the efficiency of the uh, electrolyzer, a uh, voltage efficiency and current efficiency. And these numbers are experimental values. And what is this one, second, uh, second term? The second term actually comes from the, uh, some circuit connection, right? Because uh, at this particular moment, we are making a DC to DC connection. So uh, we have no voltage converter. So that uh, particular curve uh, like this is the uh, operation curve of the uh, photovoltaic, while the operation curve of the electrolyzer takes this form. So if we connect this device and this device, then operation point comes here. And that is actually very much far away from the maximum power point here. So that's why we need to adjust the voltage of the operation in between these two different devices. So in the uh, next system, uh, which is still running in Japan, uh, Miyazaki, uh, they implemented that uh, purpose-made voltage converter, which is expected to be a high efficiency, but with some failure, that efficiency is as low as 90%. That is a mess. But uh, still, uh, owing to that, a good voltage converter, now the efficiency of the solar to hydrogen energy conversion is uh, as good as uh, 20% for the entire daytime. So this is a good news, right? And uh, taking that achievement, now I try to move from Japan to Queensland because as I have said, this is a sunshine state, right? And I have a very good partner here. So now the uh, Professor Ian McKinnon is leading this uh, huge project of combining uh, my beloved concentrator photovoltaic but this is too costly, so uh, for filling in the gap of the necessity of the hydrogen and uh, electricity, we also try to implement a huge capacity of the phot silicon photovoltaic conventional panel. But anyway, now we are trying to make a best combination of this photovoltaic module and water electrolyzer with the help of a good capacity of the battery. Why is this necessary? You know, now today's my point might be the uh, role of the hydrogen as an enabler of the uh, renewable energy installation. I won't uh, talk about the uh, battery, but finally, I uh, end up with the necessity of the battery to keep the realistic system in operation. So I will uh, briefly just uh, talk that story in uh, uh, coming slides. So here we come to the next challenge. How we can design more realistic plant for the solar hydrogen generation? and also how cheap that hydrogen can be out of sunlight. Okay, this is a very significant question. So here, this is a zero-order estimation of that uh, solar hydrogen. This is very simple, right? The, uh, we never consider the actual system, but just consider the, some capacity balance, right? And the, this particular graph is showing us the uh, hydrogen cost cents per normal cubic meter as a function of the electricity cost out of the photovoltaic module. Right? And you know, the uh, water splitting is driven by electricity. So uh, the cost of the uh, hydrogen out of that water splitting is dependent on the electricity cost, of course. Right? That's why this yellow portion is uh, reflecting that uh, cost of the electricity. And probably here, in the future, we may be able to achieve that uh, solar electricity cost as low as a couple of the uh, cents per kilowatt hour. That is probably reality. And in that particular situation, you know, as you can imagine, uh, notice here, the fraction of that electricity cost is just half, roughly speaking, of the hydrogen cost. 
What is the rest? Rest. That is the uh, capital cost of the water exercise and its operation cost, right? So now the point is that the solar cell is already on a very good track of the cost of reduction. Watch your silicon panel, right? It's very cheap, right? I love that concentrator photovoltaic, but uh, that also have a possibility of the reducing its cost. Then next model deck is this water electrolyzer, right? And that is the uh, huge target of the challenge. But probably you may know that the water electrolyzer uh, is a target of the very basic study, right, for the uh, century or so. But still, uh, that needs the necessity of the improvement. What's that? Of course, we need to think about the cost reduction. And also, the, in the industrial sense, most of the electrolyzer has been designed to be connected to a stable electricity source coming from the electricity grid, like a generation of your bridge, like a chlorite, right, out of seawater. So nobody has been trying to make that water electrolyzer adjustable to the intermittent electricity input. Is that possible? Partially possible, but still, at least uh, if we look at the uh, market existing electrolyzer, they never accept the complete power shutdown every day. Uh, if we do that, we will end up with that a shortened lifetime. And also, such kind of the intermittent input to the water electrolyzer have another problem, because the, if you operate that electrolyzer not 24 hours, but for limited hours, then you have a difficulty of generating the hydrogen with a large amount. So the recovery of the capital investment is getting harder. So that results in the, a, a increase of the capex, right? So that is a source of headache. Then uh, we have some solution of the use of the battery. If we have a battery, we can liberalize the electricity, right? Then we can, in a very uh, extreme situation, operate your electrolyzer uh, 24 hours per day, right? This is a very good situation for longer lifetime of electrolyzer, and uh, we can uh, employ the already existing commercialized alkaline electrolyzer for that operation, but we will need substantial amount of the battery. Okay, now the, uh, my colleague here is making a substantial development of the next generation battery, so I really want to ex ex encourage that activity because by doing that, we are able to get into very economical range. But taking the existing price of that a stationary battery, like a lithium ion, uh, as compared to the a price of that electrolyzer, then we may end up with a very limited usage of that battery. I will show you that example very briefly. So this is just one example of the very naive simulation how that system of the a water splitting combining the solar panel and the battery and water electrolyzer operates. I don't uh, at all touch into the detail of this particular scheme, but the only thing which I want to tell you is that the, uh, some of the surplus electricity from the photovoltaic, uh, which potentially can be input to the electrolyzer, can be bypassed through the battery, and by which uh, we can shrink the capacity of this water electrolyzer. That is good for the total cost of reduction of the system. But this necessitates a huge amount of battery. So this is just a matter of the quantitative discussion. So I will just show you some example. This is actually the, uh, using the example of the uh, Gladstone uh, climate 
uh, to simulate that uh, photovoltaic power generation. This is a, a blue line as a function of time for multiple days. And this yellow line is representing the state of the charge, how much uh, the battery is filled uh, as a function of time. And the last, this red line is depicting that a power input to my electrolyzer. So this is a case when we can employ substantially uh, cheaper battery than the existing one uh, in the market. And if that is the case, as you can see here, we can more or less levelize the electricity input into the electrolyzer, and this can contribute to the uh, less capex of the water electrolyzer into the total cost of the uh, hydrogen production out of sunlight. But again, this necessitates a very substantial reduction of the uh, battery cost like this, probably almost a factor of five from the uh, market price. So uh, we can consider such kind of thing, but uh, I don't have time uh, to uh, depict the in detail. But the point is that you know that kind of the hydrogen generation cost is quite susceptible to many factors. For example, how much capacity we have uh, for the water electrolyzer uh, with respect uh, to this a photovoltaic capacity. Right? Uh, for example, here, the, uh, the factor of the power generation capacity between the photovoltaic and the water electrolyzer is 10 to 3. Right? Uh, this is a kind of some economical point for a body that we can have a very good price of the battery. Right? And there, uh, we may be able to achieve something like, uh, say, 30 cents per normal cubic meter uh, using rather the realistic cost assumption other than this battery. So this is probably more or less the, uh, some reasonable range of the uh, consideration of the hydrogen price or of hydrogen cost out of sunlight. Still, to be honest, much more ex a, a expensive than the one coming from the fossil fuel, right? But uh, that is a reality. So uh, next slide depicts that how the battery price impacts that a operation pattern of the uh, water, uh, water splitting system driven by photovoltaic. And the only point that I want to exaggerate is that if the battery cost is sitting in a realistic range of the, uh, today's uh, technology, then we may have to give up the use of the battery and rely on just very intermittent use of the water electrolyzer because of the uh, too much cost of the battery, right? So uh, that's why, again, I won't exaggerate that we have a very technological and economical challenge for the cost reduction of both the water electrolyzer and the battery to realize that kind of the solar water splitting uh, in a system. So this is my second message. And also, uh, having set that problem, still we may have some consideration, further consideration, I exaggerated the possibility of the you are generating the hydrogen out of your abundant sunlight in Australia, but where to do that, right? Uh, remember, in my previous uh, slide, I put this circle here for political reason, because you are in Queensland, right? If I go to the Western Australia, uh, I will move that castle to here, <laughs> or the sun, South Australia here. So that is a very convenient mechanism, right? Uh, to satisfy everybody, but you know, that is just a political consideration. But for technological consideration, where is a suitable place for introducing that uh, huge scale? I said, terawatt scale power generator, right? Uh, terawatt scale hydrogen uh, power uh, generation plant out of sunlight. That site might not be singular, but the, uh, too, not too much scattered, 
because if that is the too much scattered like a thousand of the size, then a collection of the hydrogen might be difficult. So this is a real challenge and a real task to do, and not suitable to me, but more suitable to you, right? Because you know the situation here. And we have a necessity of taking that hydrogen to Japan. So that is a very good example of the room of the tighter collaboration uh, to depict a future picture of you generating the solar hydrogen and uh, taking that domestically, as I will show you in uh, my final slides, and exporting to Japan. So this is a real room to collaboration. And finally, I'd like to exaggerate how to make that kind of change, right? I have been talking about the future, uh, targeting the 250. And if we just talk about that bright future or potentially bright future, especially the elder guys is so much bored. <laughs> I hope that still everybody's surviving. Thank you for that. Uh, but anyway, the, uh, we need a good realistic story to make that transition possible. It is impossible to make a sudden jump. Right? So how to realize that kind of the final stage targeting at 250 from now on? So uh, for that consideration, now I have gathered uh, not a small number of the uh, company partners uh, in my consortium. This is very small, and please take this. Not funded by Japanese government. Uh, I would like to push my Japanese government to fund me, but uh, not successful. So that's why I want to make an advertisement here. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, these two uh, nine companies, as well as the Queensland state government, you know. Before Japanese government come into this consortium, the Queensland state has joined us. Thank you, right? <laughs> this is a very, how to say, typical example that uh, you have a much more pioneering spirit than the Japanese government. So anyway, so now this consortium, uh, as well as me, is thinking about a good story of making a transition to that kind of the future linear energy system. And this is something like a 2 vg slide, but depicting that a sense of the amount of the necessary hydrogen as a function of year. I said, at 2050, if we are really to make 80% uh, decarbonization of the Japanese energy system, we need a, a 60 million ton annual hydrogen imported to Japan. And that actually necessitates almost a 2 terawatt, 2,000 gigawatt power generator, photovoltaic installed somewhere, right? And uh, I said that is impossible in Japan. So, making a backcasting from this uh, 2050, what do we have to do, right? The, uh, we can say shrink, shrink, shrink the order from this 2 terawatt uh, to the situation now. Now, the Professor McKinnon is going to install this uh, 0.1 megawatt. I don't talk about the 100 kilowatt, but 0.1 megawatt. This is very important, right? So, 0.1 megawatt installation here. Then, the, uh, probably in the coming five years, we need to at least uh, make one demonstration of technological benchmark with the size of the 10 megawatt. Uh, I think that the, or we think that uh, this is something like a minimum unit uh, which allows our jump to this uh, terawatt scheme. So we need to achieve some plant design uh, allowing for this uh, huge size. But uh, nobody has achieved that at least using the solar electricity. So, and uh, this is another video slide, and probably you may be too much bored to look at that, but the only message here is that, you know, here is the uh, Japan and some other countries in Asia necessitating hydrogen like uh, Korea or Taiwan or even like uh, Singapore, right? And the, this side is 
most likely are you in the Queensland. So we finally expect a huge amount of the hydrogen import from here to Japan, right? But again, you may not imagine that situation from now. So what we should do now? We Japan are going to be ready for the use of the hydrogen. Yes, we have hydrogen-driven vehicle, but the amount is very small. And uh, our domestic uh, renewable conditions is not so good, right? Our land area is limited and the sunlight is limited. Well, here, you have much better sunlight and much available land area. And more importantly, good pioneering speed. So what I encourage you is to consider first the realization of the renewable society here before we do that in Japan. Then please push us because we are very susceptible to the external pressure. And otherwise, Japanese are so conservative. That's why uh, I'm exaggerating the necessity of the uh, stimulation uh, from abroad, and also good benchmark of the possibility of the say, high penetration of the renewable to the society. Take an example of the best situation sunshine country here. So in that kind of the trial, uh, my perspective is that the uh, dissemination of the massive amount of renewable is a kind of a card game, right? Uh, think about your poker. If you have a, say, good card, you will win. So the way of making that good transition or initial demonstration is to think about getting a good card to win the game. What's that? So I previously uh, hinted that the, uh, for this kind of the situation where we have a massive installation of the photovoltaic and exceeding the electricity demand, uh, we can convert that surplus electricity to hydrogen and use that again uh, in a gap term. But if we are able to make another alternative uh, electric electrical generation uh, from other renewable sources, like a compost or biomass, or even a hydro, then we don't need to uh, offset this electricity to other timing period. Then what we can do is, you know, this electricity has no other way than, be combated, than being combated to other substance because we cannot preserve electricity. Then the only substance we can get from the surplus electricity at this particular moment is hydrogen. I do hope that we can synthesize my beloved ethanol, right, out of the sunlight and CO2. Probably that might be waiting for me shortly, but anyway, uh, that uh, is my long dream. So at this particular moment, we just have a hydrogen, which is capable of, of uh, obtained out of this surplus electricity. So the question is that, how to use that hydrogen? Of course, you may use that for the mobility. That is already for sure. but. Also, we need to think about another way of using that hydrogen to be more variable product. This is one example. You have a lot of the bio resource here, but uh, you know, just using a wood chip is not so convenient. So uh, you may rather uh, willing to uh, combat that to the, uh, some uh, liquid fuel, like a biodiesel. And that process actually necessitates a huge amount of the hydrogen. And if that hydrogen is coming from the fossil fuel resource, that's nonsense because you are making a trial to synthesize the bioethanol or biodiesel. So that hydrogen should come from the renewable sources. And this is my example, right? And uh, starting from such kind of the trial to use hydrogen to be a more variable product than that mere fuel, then you might increase that capacity of the hydrogen generation uh, steadily. 
And finally, if you have some uh, room to export your hydrogen to Japan, we welcome that. And uh, up to that time, uh, we will try our best to fit our society to be more powered by hydrogen. Okay? And the last comment. So, so far, I have been talking about just uh, electricity and fuel. But think, uh, you are now exporting a lot of the food from Australia to Japan, right? And we'd like to import renewable energy from Australia to Japan using hydrogen in the future. But let's think, if you can power your farming with all the renewable here and export that food product like a wheat or bean to Japan, that is, in my very naive conception, more or less equivalent to exporting renewable energy from Australia to Japan. Because the, before getting into that stage, you are conserving fossil fuel for this particular purpose, right? So in that sense, the, uh, my another uh, perspective is to make a transition of the uh, energy for farming for export, right? Uh, from that existing fossil fuel to entire renewable one. And this is a kind of some uh, very busy picture, but uh, what I want to exaggerate here is that, you know, you have some uh, green electricity, and that electricity can power the farming machines. But other than that, you know, some of the farming machines, like drones or your uh, tractors, uh, needs fuel because they are not connected to the uh, socket. So that should use that green hydrogen out of the water electrolysis. And other than that, for that farming, we need source of nitrogen. And that nitrogen is nowadays coming from the Haber-Bosch process, uh, utilizing that uh, fossil fuel or natural gas as a source of that uh, hydrogen. But using this green hydrogen, it is already possible to synthesize the ammonia using that nitrogen in air. So that is another possibility of substituting our fertilizer uh, with the uh, renewable-based fertilizer. And also, we are intensely, uh, most likely, using a uh, pesticide uh, to keep our farming product. And for that, we have some uh, synthesized chemicals. But the, uh, those uh, water electrolyzers uh, sometimes make a very good uh, byproduct, like uh, acid water or oxygen. And that oxygen can be converted to something like ozone water. And those products are so effective to uh, make the function of that pesticide. So the, this is also a new possibility, right? And uh, I heard that the QUT is very good at making a study on the farming and the future style of the farming. So let's think together about that possibility of the renewable farming. Okay, that's all. So today, uh, for, thanks to your uh, kind attention, uh, I have talked about the, uh, what is necessary or what is the potential scenario for the disruptive installation of the renewables into our society. I, Japan has some example, uh, some potential scenario, and the U Queensland has another scenario. But the point is that the, uh, what is the role of hydrogen? For that role of the hydrogen, uh, I exaggerated two possibilities as I enable the renewable energy. One is that electricity shortage. And the other one is, very broadly speaking, an interface between that renewable electricity and uh, useful chemical substance. That useful chemical substance is not just the fuel, but also some pro, a, a raw material or the chemical industry, like the plastic synthesis. Okay, so the, for that uh, global networking of the renewable energy in the future, lastly, I exaggerated the necessity of making a 
initial attempt to make this local energy system to be powered by renewable first, because you have much more advantageous situation than the one in Japan. That's why I really welcome any kind of discussion to make this scenario possible. Well, thank you again for your kind attention. subscribe to our channel. You can also visit us on the web at www.qut.edu.au slash IFE and we're also on Twitter at IFE underscore QUT and Instagram at IFE.QT. We really hope you enjoyed this IFE podcast.